it's like, what would be more surprising if you asked, what is the military keeping at Area 51? And nothing came up. It was just like some guys in lab coats mm-hmm. and like a guy with a gun. Desert rocks. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> or if it was aliens. Yeah. It's like, oh, yeah. see, I told you. I yeah. told you. It's, it's, like, that, well, it's ever- that level from Tony Hawk Pro Skater. <laughs> it's just a skate park. <laughs> I've been scrolling around on Instagram, on TikTok, on all social media, and I keep on seeing this phenomenon, and it's this AI-generated art. And people have been asking questions to the AI, you know, things like, what, was, what did my birthday look like? What is my ideal job? What does the end of the world look like? What does heaven, hell, what's on the dark side of the moon? Even what does anxiety look like? They'll ask the yeah, anxiety and depression. And they'll ask the AI and the AI develops a picture of whatever they asked. Now the picture can be more or less detailed. Like there's, there are greater um, AI generating systems that produce very detailed, beautiful looking art. And then there's, I think there's like a filter on TikTok that you can use that has a, a, a less detailed version. Yep. Either way, it'll produce a picture of what you ask. And my first reaction upon seeing these, particularly the more kind of archetypal visions of uh, what does heaven look like? What does hell look like? What does religion look like? Was like, my gosh, this is the collective unconscious of the internet. Yeah. Mm. That these are, you know, the collective unconscious for Jung is these inherited elements over the years that kind of reside in an impersonal manner. And all these pictures on the internet are impersonal in the sense that you didn't create these images. Mm-hmm. And it's really fascinating to me to see how people develop these pictures or they ask these pictures and then they engage with them. So there's two elements that I was thinking about. One is Jung's collective unconscious and the other is his notion of active imagination. Uh-huh. So with the collective unconscious, Jung calls it sheer objectivity. And what he means by that is that since it's something that it's the, it's the consensus gentium, the consensus mm-hmm. of the people that we've all agreed that this is the way this thing looks. This is true about whatever this is. It's not my personal statement. It's not your personal statement. Mm-hmm. It's not subjective, but it belongs to the, the heritage of humanity. So when people have Googled things like, or I'm sorry, they've asked the AI, what does hell look like? It always comes back as a very dark and scary place Mm -hmm. because we have collectively imagined and agreed that it is that right that hell is a bad place there would be no situation where the result would be like something happy exactly and perhaps you could like force the ai generation you know a happy hell like Mm -hmm. people happy in hell but if you just do hell or you just do heaven Mm. that's not what comes up and so it's it's almost as as if the AI has a objective knowledge that we don't have access to because people ask, you know, again, what's on the dark side of the moon? What does the end of the world look like? And it's exactly what you would think. Right. It's, you know, the dark yeah. side of the moon has a base, yeah, yeah. you know, has animals on it or creatures on it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, that's because that's what you think is on it. Mm-hmm. That, that you're tapping into um, what we've all unconsciously agreed to. Right. And it's yeah. just reflecting that back to you. I was thinking yeah. about how that relates to the way Peterson talks about like um, like the king archetype of like how that evolves in society of like you have kings and like what makes that king great and then what makes this king great and then you start to kind of like uh, 
extrapolate from that, like, well, what, what makes a king in general great? Mm-hmm. And then you have, well, what would, what would the king of kings be? And then that's when you get something like a Christ figure. And right, then a divine figure. Right, yeah. so that you mm-hmm. see yeah. this, like, kind of evolution of these archetypes. Um, and it seems like AI is essentially doing that in art, of just, like, looking at everything that's been put out onto the internet, which kind of is a representation of all of our expressions, and then now collectively boiling it down to be like, here's hell or here's right. like right yeah. right because even if you know archetypes appear all over the world and in but in slightly different ways but they all have the same kind of basic uh common underlying like substratum uh-huh. and that's how it is with these uh pictures on on um of the ai is they vary and they weren't all the same but they all have the same underlying principle of this is either like a dark scary place um joe rogan Matt, you mm-hmm. sent me that one of Joe Rogan freaking out about AI-generated art. <laughs> and the two principal images that were coming out of the one that he shared was that he was doing some sort of interview, he was conducting some sort of interview, and aliens. Yeah, right. And it's like, well, that's, that's a fairly objective picture of Joe Rogan, right? Yeah. Like, he's really interested in aliens, mm-hmm. and he's a famous podcaster. Yeah. Um, you know, he was doing things before that, but now he's a famous podcaster. Mm-hmm. And the same thing with, with this AI-generated art, you know, that... There is some sort of amalgamation that of different pictures that we've all kind of agreed that this is what whatever this thing looks like, right? Mm-hmm. Um, whatever heaven, hell, whatever's on the other dark side of the moon, right? Um, now again, there's more subjective versions like, what did the day of my birth look like? What is my ideal job? Uh, but yeah, um, these more archetypal pictures mm-hmm. are more collective. Yeah, part of the collective yeah. I, I think there's um, the the shock factor um, or the intriguing factor. Uh, for us is that this is uh, not human generated art. And when we think about art, we think about, you know, a human endeavor, but would it be wrong to say that the, the AI generated art is simply the vehicle to bring about the human unconsciousness, I guess. And so in a sense, it's still human generated. Is that, I don't know if that's, um, yeah, I mean, that's this question about AI in general. Um, and like all these algorithms of like, are they conscious? Yeah. Um, and so like ultimately they have, they were like started by human consciousness. Yeah. So it's it's kind of tricky to get into the weeds of like whether it has its own self-identifying principle. Right. Um, and then, you know, like wasn't there the story recently of the guy at Google who was like talking to the AI? Yes. Um, yeah. Yeah. Right. right. And the conversation it had, it like it, it just again, it's like this kind of amalgam of like human conversations, but right. it had to, it was presupposed that humans existed and have th- have this dialogue, and yeah. it like boiled down all the possible answers and what's the right situation and whatever. So it's still like coming from a human mind. Right. Well, and that's you remember Jordan Peterson had that um, uh, lecture at Franciscan University about uh, the canon of the Bible, and. Uh, he quickly went into um, the problem of AI. Essentially, like the, the central problem is that it was hard to get AI to pay attention to the right thing, right? Because right. if we have billions of data points, you know, flooding into our purview, mm-hmm. like how do we know what to pay attention to and to, then to navigate the world? Right. And so this, it seems like, from what I understand, I'm you know relatively new to this conversation, but it seems like the AI is has this vast amount of da- uh, data. Mm-hmm. And then when you say, like, what does hell look like? It knows what to pay attention to and gathers, like, the underlying 
um, through point, I guess, like the through yeah. line of yeah. all like what this hell is in on right. the internet, and then brings that. Yeah, to the, you but know, ultimately a that's still picture. a reflection of like what we've expressed over time right. as, mm-hmm. as hell right. or what have you. Yeah, yeah, so the yeah. risk of that is that what happens if um, this AI starts to reflect things back to us that are not true? You know what I'm saying? Like what if like we, like our collective unconscious is askew and then now we have this like powerful, almost godlike thing telling us what we're like reflecting back to us what we're putting in and it almost feels like a confirmation. But it's like, no, no, that's not actually part of reality. Mm. Like, then what happens? Right. Yeah. Well, th- that's what I was thinking about um, when it comes to, ha- like, happy visions of hell. Right? It's like, well, we only think that it's like that. And that's why the AI does this. Could we get the AI to say something different? Right. Mm-hmm. And I think the answer is yes. Yeah. Mm. You, yeah. you could uh, get it to do, like you said, it could confirm what you believe. Mm-hmm. Well, that's why there was a, a famous picture going around. It was like uh, AI produces the last um, selfie on Earth. You know, it's like in mm. the background, like the world is destroyed, you know, wasteland, and the person's like half dead. And they're taking a selfie. And that's interesting. And everyone's like, oh, that's how, that's how it'll be. It's like, no, no, that, again, that's, how, that's what you think it'll <laughs> yeah, be. Yeah, that's yeah. What you right. think it's going to be like that. That's, mm-hmm. that's why um, everyone feels like it's being confirmed. Um, but to your point, Father Jonathan, about... Uh, it's collecting everything from, it's, it's looking all over the internet. I think there's this suspicion that there's dark corners of the internet that have knowledge of things that we don't. Mm. So when they Google, you know, what is on the dark side of the right. moon, what is, you know, what's at, what, you know, what are at these military bases, right? It's assuming that there's people who have put out secret, you know, or, co- or classified military knowledge mm-hmm. and it can grab that and pull it to the front. And say right. this is actually what the military is keeping from you. Yeah, that's that's the assumption. Yeah, yeah that's yeah, that's yeah, the assumption. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah. You know, but again, it's like well, that's hard to say because we all yeah. assume that there's aliens on certain bases. Right. It's like, what does <laughs> right. Area 51 look like? And then you see like all these aliens. Like I told you. Yeah. It's like yeah. all right, bro. right. It's like what would be more surprising if you asked what is the military keeping at Area 51, and nothing came up. It was just like some guys in lab coats mm-hmm. and like a guy with a gun. Desert rocks. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> or if it was aliens. Yeah. It's like, oh, yeah. see, I told you. I yeah. told you. It's, it's, like, that, well, it's every- that level from Tony Hawk, Pro Skater. Yeah. 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 It's just yeah. a skate park. You know, exactly. It's just a yeah. skate park. Like, what the heck? Yeah. Exactly. It, so. Yeah, that's, that's, that's wild. Yeah. So the other, the other um, thing that struck me, and this is, I think, the more subjective use of AI-generated art was Jung's notion of active imagination. Uh, And he said this was a way of assimilating unconscious contents with consciousness. It was a way to combine the two worlds. And there was two ways to do this. One, he said you could, in a sense, meditate and see what spontaneous images come up to you. Or you have to use artificial means. So essentially, if you're a very creative person, you can sit down and see what images come to your mind. If you're not as a creative, if you're not as not as creative as, then you can basically take like a preformed image, mm-hmm. um, maybe like a religious piece of art or a dream that you had, or some other image, and you focus on it and see, and then participate in the image is what you're supposed to do. Mm, right. And so people would do this. I saw online when they would say. Uh, what was my past life? And this image would come up. What uh, is my ideal job? And they would start interpreting the image. 
but it seems like they're almost offloading their own imagination onto the AI. Right. You know, okay, because yeah. the AI produces, um, I tried it online, I just typed in some stuff, and then, you know, it takes two minutes for it to kind of generate something. And in that time, it's almost like you're supposed to be delving into your own mind and soul mm-hmm. um, while it's generating it. And then it's like, well, here, boom, like here's this picture, it just pops up. And it's almost as if it manifests and reveals itself from the unconscious of the internet onto right. you. Right. And then you engage in this active imagination where you you see, like you try to uh, pull out different images and pull out different meanings from it. Yeah. And then that you're supposed to then act on that. It's almost like an inkblot test. <laughs> it's like, what do you see well, here? And yeah, exactly. You, like, you meditate exactly. and kind of project your own thoughts onto it. Exactly, exactly. Um, so now there's, there's a religious component of it, you know, um, Jung would say that St. Ignatius of Loyola's uh, spiritual exercises were a form of this, mm-hmm. that you were supposed to meditate on the life of Christ, picture yourself in front of Christ, walking with him. What are the sights? What are the mm-hmm. sounds? What's going on? Um, what are you feeling? What are you thinking? And that was supposed to bring about some sort of moral conversion, right? You were supposed to leave that meditation period also with a changed life. Right. And Jung thought the same thing about active imagination, that when you're engaging these pictures, you can't just do it, he said, from an aesthetic attitude of this is mm. a beautiful piece of art or from uh, purely judgmental or understanding, like, oh, I understand what this is trying to tell me, and then leave. It's like, well, you're actually supposed to leave changed mm-hmm. by this. And, you know, in some sense, I worry that people, instead of engaging in um, not so much active imagination, but meditation yeah that they're offloading it again onto right. ai yep like, well what's right. my ideal job yeah. it's instead of thinking yeah, yeah. about an ideal job they're yeah. letting the ai tell them yeah you really see mm. the uh, that like religious impulse there that like you're coming to some sort of higher power yeah. for an image and then you meditate on it and then like live that way you know like yeah. i'm thinking of like meditations on the rosary and the different mysteries and such and it's like that's what you're that's what essentially the same instinct is happening with these people going to some sort of higher power and being like what is my ideal job yep. it's right. like you could also like meditate in the life of Christ and pull these same archetypal realities yeah. and then like live in a in a way and a danger there seems like uh, if you and just like any religion if you just go to the authority and just say you know tell me what to do without with like, almost like surrendering your faculties mm-hmm. um, you don't want to do you know you don't want that to be the case you have to kind of, like, you know, Lee said, like, in, in mentioning the um, spiritual exercises of saving Ignatius, to actually use your imagination, right, uh, and, and be engaged in it, not just going before, you know, a, a higher power and just be like, okay, I surrender everything, just just tell me what to do, you know, right. as, as if it's like an imposition, uh, and it doesn't permeate actually all of your nature, mm-hmm. you know, imagination, soul, spirit, everything, um, so. Because yeah, there's a whole embodied aspect to yes, yeah. Catholic meditation, right? You know, you you kneel, you sit, you're silent, yeah, or, or you meditate, you, right? You, exactly, like yeah. your your faculties are engaged or not engaged. But here, it's already you, you again. You sit down and you let the AI tell you, yeah, yeah what's yeah, exactly. going on. You let yeah. the internet show you these different images. I mean, even classically religious images. Uh, so, well, you you can meditate on that yourself. Mm-hmm. I mean, Saint Ignatius has meditations on heaven and hell. Like you can envision that yourself, but it seems like people would rather engage with the AI to tell them. Right. 
Yeah. And you think about yeah. like the history of like the church fathers and like all of these like great thinkers uh, in Christianity that have like passed down their meditations and all, all of like the richness of it. It's like with AI, it's like, who are the, who are the church fathers of AI? Right. You know what I'm saying? Like what yeah. are, what are the, what are the traditions being passed down that's reflecting itself back to you as like, this yeah. is how you should embody your life. Like that's scary like, yeah. to see like, you know, a, a generation that's not religious now, like, latching onto something like this and then living that out. It's like there's no like coherent tradition behind that. And that, yeah. that has so many ramifications. Right. Yeah. It's, um, this is the, the mystical side of things. Like I said, the more archetypal visions or, uh, images that were coming up, I keep calling them visions cause that's what it seems like. <laughs> yeah, yeah uh, sure. <laughs> uh, the images that were coming up, uh, that were more archetypal are objective. Whereas they, the ones that are more subjective seem more mystical to people mm. that it, the AI is saying something to them right? personally. Um, and it's like, well, this can happen. This, this can happen to you in meditation and in prayer. Right. But I don't think people either know how or are willing to go that route. Mm-hmm. Instead, this is a, a more socially acceptable route right. of prayer and meditation. It's it an easy, like, you know, to use harsh language, it's a lazy way in order to, you know, gain knowledge yeah. from a higher power. Right. Um, seems lazier, at least. Like you said, Catholicism binds our entire being, you know, and, right. and engages right. us on every level. So. Right. I think something is seriously lost, though, when you lose that personal meditation aspect. Because Jung says that inactive meditation is where, or, or uh, active imag- imagination, this is where art comes from. This is where dance, music, art, because yeah. you, you take even a mood, you said a bad mood, and you picture that right which is um something i think we take for granted or we just kind of do we don't really think about but i was thinking about recently that the mind has this ability to take different senses and create an image Mm -hmm. so how is it that you have a feeling that becomes an image or a sound that becomes an image Mm -hmm. um i mean there's explanations but it's 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 interesting that it immediately goes there Right. Yeah. That uh, that sounds aren't images, but yet they can, can they can become images. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sure you've had some experience of this. Yeah. Matt, right. Sure. Music. Yeah. It's just you mm-hmm. you have stuff going on personally or emotionally, intellectually, and you can pour that out into music and yeah. create a piece of art. Especially um, <clears throat> instrumental music per se, without like a logos behind it, has this kind of element of like a trans um, sense mm-hmm. uh, because you know you hear an emotional piece of music and like, Oh, this sounds sad. It's like, how is it that this experience is becoming now a sound? Yeah. Um, Yeah. Well, that's why even sounds can be archetypal. Like a major key will always represent um, a lighter mood. Yeah. And a minor key will always represent Mm -hmm. like tension and fear, you know, a darker mood. Um, And so even, even in music, I think we see that archetype being played out. Yeah. Um, When I create music videos for you, you uh know, I, there is an element where I have to sit there and listen to the music and what it, what are the images that come to my mind? You know, if the music is mellow, if it's somber, you know, emotional piano, it's like, well, you wouldn't have people at like a cookout, yeah. like a beach party, people smiling. It's a yeah. birthday party. It's like, yeah. yeah. Immediately you would look at these and go, these aren't, these aren't the same. Right. And it doesn't take someone who knows music or is incredibly yeah. creative to know. Mm-hmm. Why is there emotional piano music with people smiling and having a birthday yeah. party? Yeah. yeah. It's like you have to, these two have to connect. Right. Yeah. And I mean, not to jump way into another topic, but like we see that Please. in the liturgy, you know? I mean, you know, sometimes the music doesn't match the reality of what's going on. 
And then people say, like, I'm not getting, like, why am I not getting things out of mass? Is because there's a dissonance between the symbols, right? Yes. And the symbols are dissonant, it's not going to affect the person, yeah. right? And yeah. so when you have happy guitar music and balloons uh, during the, the unbloody sacrifice of the God man, right. yeah. <laughs> that's going to, yeah. you know, cause tension. Right. And again, when the symbols are not aligned, yeah. um, it just loses meaning. That's a um, that's a perfect dovetail into what we wanted to talk about next. Um, Shia LaBeouf uh, was interviewed by Bishop Barron um, on his upcoming film. I think it's coming out. I don't think it's out yet. I don't um, think so. Pod- I think it's coming out. Padre Pio. Yeah, it's on yeah. Padre Pio. Um, and he uh, he had a lot of really interesting points about his uh, kind of conversion to Catholicism and his just kind of his approach to it, and it ties. Uh, it ties nicely into a lot of the things we've been talking about, about beauty, intuition, uh, symbolism, a lot of those things. So I have uh, a list of clips here I want to play for you guys, um, and then we'll discuss them. Mm-hmm. Um, this clip is about his method acting and how he, um, whether or not he identifies with method acting and kind of his intuitive approach. I'm not in that school of thought. So Stanislavski uh, is about sense memory, and um, it's, it's very intellectual. It's a, it's a whole lot of um, uh, conceptual. It's a whole lot of um, cognitive. It's heady. It's very heady. Mm. And I'm I'm like a Whitman character. I'm like a very unintellectual feeler. And so I I don't I don't identify with that school of thought really. I don't really know what I do or what where where it comes from or how it happens. I know that I I feel a whole lot. I got a big heart. I don't know if I'm a method guy. So he's he's already setting himself up as somebody who feels instead of thinks, um, and that kind of really ties into what we were talking about about like poetic knowledge versus scientific knowledge, because mm-hmm. um, a lot of times that that kind of like I'm not an intellectual guy gets a bad rap, yeah. Of like I'm I have really low IQ, and like I'm just like not smart, as opposed to like I have intuition, yeah. You know, like that that is just as valuable um, in in somebody to have that kind of intuitive approach. And obviously he's an artist, and so he's going to have that quality. Um, but it's really interesting to see how he sets himself up as that kind of feeler. Yeah. Um, he, he contrasts that with Padre Pio, uh, which is I have another clip here um, where he draws that parallel to, Piro, uh, to Padre Pio as a feeler as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's kind of where he found his connection. It's... Um extremely emotional, which is how he touched people. He didn't touch people through like these profundities that he spit. He was also an immense feeler. Uh, You know, a lot of his contemporaries didn't liken him to an Aquinas or an intellectual. He was an an extraordinary feeler. He was like a pro feeler. And that was my first inroad to him. So that's, I mean, again, like, I feel like he's kind of touching on something that's a cultural moment in this, like, um, in this feeling kind of way of approaching Catholicism. Um, it's the same kind of uh, thing we were talking about, how like symbolism and the connectedness of things and um, how he's starting to piece things together uh, in a different way than this like top down intellectual thing. Bishop Barron mentions, too, that like his way of approaching Catholicism was completely different. He's like, I was yeah. moved by Aquinas and his, you know, five proofs for God. And that's yeah. what got me into the inroads, um, whereas I feel like um, Shia is kind of coming from. A different place that's actually kind of where a lot of people need to start coming from now yeah and i i don't want to, uh, the danger there is that um it seems like it's only one or the other mm-hmm. right but i do think that these things can coexist 
And so just to say that, like, oh, I'm more intuitive and I'm a feeler doesn't mean that you are you, you necessarily cannot be intellectual as well. Sure. Um, it's a different plane, right? It's not even it's not it's not on the same plane. Yep. Um, so those things are not diametrically opposed. Um, they just they can work together. Um, so I think that's the danger there. And, and when we see the, the cultural movement, as it were, saying that, you know, the empirical scientific way of knowing is not giving us meaning um doesn't mean that we abandon that it just means that we have to search deeper right and 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 go and go beyond as it were um that yeah that's my only caveat to to that clip but yeah the the thing i love about catholicism and the liturgy is there's something for everyone Mm -hmm. yeah there's elements of the liturgy that you can really engage intellectually oh he's saying the creed uh consubstantial and it's like well there's a whole like church history behind that word there's greek roots to that word and you can really delve into that intellectually if you want to right but you don't have to you can just experience the beauty of the liturgy and that is worship as well yeah you know it's like you said it's not one or the other um the, the thing that i that really struck me about some of those clips was that I think Shai is getting at this idea that worship isn't necessarily a rational exercise of the intellect. Mm, yeah, right. You know, there's nothing necessarily, and this is, I think, what kind of the the new the new atheists have a problem with when they look at the development of religion is all these irrational behaviors mm-hmm. of like, why would you burn a perfectly good sheep to God like right. when you can eat when you could even eating it yeah like that doesn't make sense right and it's correct it's like some of these actions don't make sense mm-hmm. it's because they're participating in something symbolic yeah right and this is um what pope francis said in his latest letter about needing to recover the symbolic language of the liturgy yeah mm-hmm. right and i would yeah. say symbolism is a bit intuitive yeah more than it is rational yeah you know i certainly Jung would say once you start rationalizing symbols too much, then they become dead. Yeah. Because yeah. his whole idea is that symbol from Greek symbolon to throw together, it's mm-hmm. partly rational or partly conscious and partly unconscious. And you kind of mm-hmm. have to like let it be that way. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's that, it's that pulling together versus separating. Uh, Cause that scientific yes. knowledge is the thing that pierces the thing that separates. Mm-hmm. And so as soon as you start to do that to something that should be connected, yeah, you lose it. Like you lost right. the symbolism. You're, now you're like, like looking up definitions of things and whatever. Yeah. But Joe talked about that a little bit. Cause he, he uh, was saying how he like refuses to like come out with like people like, Oh, can you give us like a symbolism, like dictionary? Yeah. yeah. Like a, yeah. like a glossary of some sort that we can like look up with the symbolism of whatever. He's like, that's, you're losing the whole point. Right. If you want that. Right, um, right. And Jung would totally agree. Yeah. It's like if you're sitting there with a glossary of symbols during the mass. Yeah, right. It's like, uh, well, yeah. Uh, it's way too intellectual. Yeah. Right. Yeah, There's right. even um, a breakdown between, uh, in the Catholic tradition, between kind of mental prayer, which is an exercise of the will, really. You, mm-hmm. you sit in quiet in the presence of God, and it's an act of loving knowledge. It's it's a unitive knowledge that you're supposed to gain from. It's not that you don't know anything about God, but it's you're learning and knowing him differently versus sort of this uh, looking at scripture, looking at the writings of the fathers and of Aquinas and, and such, and intellectually engaging them. Mm-hmm. 
that right. prayer is not an intellectual engagement. Worship is not the time to sit there and you said pull apart and make distinctions and such. It's a time to to love, right? Essentially, yeah. yep. Would you would you say that what you said about um you know a non-believer or a rationalist looking at worship and kind of scoffing at it and saying like you know this doesn't make any sense. Uh, I, I, it's in my mind, and I don't know if you guys would agree, but for the rationalist, it seems like the purpose of all action should be directed towards the longevity of bios, right? Or, or, or the longevity of the biological. Mm-hmm. Um, like if it's going to um, uh, attribute to your flourishing on a biological level, then we can say that it's good, right? right? But even mm-hmm. again, that term good is metaphysical. And so you're stepping out of, um, you know, um, just a pure rationalistic yeah. scientific perspective. Thought. However, it seems like when you jump to worship, uh, it's it's a total giving of yourself to something else, right? It, you know, uh, like Peugeot would would say that it's uh, giving your full attention uh, to the thing that's on the top of the mountain, like the, mm-hmm. that's on the top of your mountain. But in co- contrast to a rationalistic. Uh, ideology where you're trying to prolong the longevity of your life this is actually a giving away of your life right and and so and this is why you can't explain love and relationships on a rational playing field right because well then how does that benefit your life i mean and you know there there could be some um you know uh moves that a rationalist does and say well you know if, if you have a relationship with somebody then that prolongs the uh um cult the the societal life, right, right, with children, but yeah. it doesn't explain it fully. Yeah, because um, the 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 argument I'm just thinking about, like trying to take their perspective, would be that you pass down your genes. Yeah, and so that prolongs that extends the species, and you and you pass right, down exactly. you know all of that. Um, but you don't actually, you don't really explain love and sorrow, and all those things in that, because they're not. Like you wouldn't, you wouldn't calculate like I'm gonna go pass down my genes and like that's what my goal is in life. Yeah. Um. And it's kind of an argument that those feelings and emotions are a bit of a facade. And then, but then you come up against you know kind of a cold, very um, calculated way of living life, and you don't treat others like others. Um. Like you just you kind of negate the inner life of each individual. Yeah. Kind of back to that um, Clavin's. A great speculation that everybody has their own internal life yeah, or whatever like you right. you lose the internal experience because you've had to actually come out of yourself to look top down at society at large and be like oh they're passing down their genes that must be what they're right. doing as opposed right. to something more that's that's both that and an experience of self and and you know pursuit of uh, your own meaning yeah yeah and that's that's um ratzinger in his introduction to christianity uh would pit this idea of total self-giving uh, against this uh, idea of uh, um, the human person on just a purely biological level. Uh, instead of like, how can I prolong my life? It's no, your your meaning and fulfillment will be found in giving your life up, yeah. right? And this is why he points to the cross as the ultimate, um, the ultimate image of human flourishing, which is sounds totally backwards <laughs> when you see a man suffering and dying on a cross and say that's the way to actually eternal life. Right. It seems backwards at first, but that can only come through an intuition, right? And I think that anybody who has been in a fruitful relationship would know 
that yes, when I give myself totally and mm. I'm not thinking about myself, I begin to experience meaning that no biological level can provide. Yeah. You know, in a sense. Yep. Um, and that's, I think, touching on the idea of the cross. You know, yep. uh, I mean, of course, the cross is so much more than that. You know, you mm-hmm. have the, um, you know, the sacrificial aspect connecting it to Judaism. Um, you know, you can talk about it from a Christological perspective and eschatological perspective, all that's in there. But just, just on a purely psychological level, um, we can begin to see how it actually brings meaning um, in a way that uh, a purely naturalistic um, way can't provide. Right. So. Yeah. Yeah. I think this is the the question that bugs maybe a purely rationalistic or atheistic or evolutionary uh, outlook is if religion promotes so many irrational behaviors and uh, rituals that go against life, how is it that it's lasted so long? Yeah, that's, that's a really good point. And w- one quote that I read was when looking at evolution, the gold standard is not rationality, but adaptation. Mm. Mm-hmm. So clearly there's something about worship, religion, ritual that is better for survival than not. Because the bottom line is there are no, that we know of, no surviving cultures that were atheistic, purely atheistic. Mm. Uh, Mircea Eliade would say that uh, there's no such thing as a non-religious man, purely non-religious or purely rational man, because he comes from religious man. Mm. That all of his ancestors are religious right so the question is the question that has to be answered is what what is what is it about ritual about giving your life away that actually promotes life yeah yeah and this is actually you know, this is it says christ right uh own quote you know th- you know he who seeks to preserve his life will lose it mm-hmm. or you know a seed must die to grow yep yeah it's it's just a, a, yeah. a pattern of life uh, i read yeah. a evolutionary psychology book talking about in a sense the problem of empathy the empathy does mm. not seem like it's a good evolutionary trait right. you know, when food is scarce why are you giving away your your own stock yeah. Yeah. but yet there's something about it that clearly means that you will continue on mm-hmm. that that people like happy givers yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Right. you know they, they yeah. would rather be around those people yeah. so i know that um uh peugeot had a conversation with brett weinstein a couple of months ago and Brett's like argument was like, we've evolved this consciousness that has like made us propagate our genes, and that's been its primary function. But we're so evolved that we can now suspend ourselves from that drive and now actually care for people and be compassionate and, and like do all these Christian mm-hmm. value things. But it's because that we've built our consciousness up to a certain point where we can leave that behind that still like omits the fact of where did you get that new goal from? Yeah. Like who told you that? Mm-hmm. You know, so there's like uh, Eliada's point of like the religious man still exists. Like you have to, it's all foundational on some sort of higher principality yeah. or pattern that has been revealed to us that we've been living through uh, that he's trying to now like superimpose onto like a rationalistic outlook of like, this is just pure biological. We can just, we can still conceive of all this within biology. It's like, that doesn't actually make any sense. Yeah. No. Yeah. Right. That, that was, this was Nietzsche's point and why he was so frustrated yeah. with his, his contemporaries is if you remove God from morality and from your foundation and stuff like that, you lose everything. Mm-hmm. You don't get to keep the structure 
it removed the foundation yeah, exactly. of God. Yeah, you know, exactly. he, he, he was so frustrated with his contemporaries. I'd say, oh yeah, you know, I'm a, I'm a Darwinist now. I, you know, I believe in pure, you know, evolution. Um, but he said, but have Christian moralities. He said, well, how, how do you have both? Yeah. So you don't get to keep both. Yeah. So the same thing with, with, mm-hmm. uh, with, uh, you say Brett Weinstein, yeah, yeah. you know, it, well, let's, let's remove God and we can keep the morality. Yeah. Well, you don't understand that the morality is based on God. Right. You know, Where does or, that morality based come on, from? Right. It's yeah. at least based on, I'll say, a, a metaphysical principle, something yeah, yeah, exactly. transcendent, yeah, whatever exactly. you want to yeah. call it. Yeah. It's it's not grounded on biology. And yeah. that kind of ties back to the AI thing, because now now you see this impulse to like start reaching again to a higher power, be like, what is my meaning? Not like what is the uh, like what is the role of biological man? Like the questions that are being asked are like meaning questions. Yeah. Um, like, what does hell look like? What is suffering? What is, like, whatever. It's like, uh, there's that impulse to be like, I need a higher power to instruct me. Yeah. Um, as opposed to some sort of, like, biological impulse. All right, and that's what um, I was reminded of uh, Peterson's interview with Peugeot in, um, in Canada, uh, where he said, Peterson was like, you know, he kind of laughed at this idea that people can just create their own principles. And he's like, these principles that you are living by and this, this set of morality has been handed down like from hundreds and hundreds of years. And now you in your short lifespan are just going to come up with these like self governing principles. Yeah. It's like, there's like no respect for the tradition that this has come from. It's like you try and like just from scratch, try to like write down like your principles and morality. Right. And you think that that's going to like uh, supersede like all, all the, the the intellectual tradition of like two thousand yeah. years, yeah. <laughs> like that's, yeah. actually, that's, that's ridiculous. That's really, it's an act of pride. That's, ultimately, um, that's. I was talking to my wife yesterday about like a life philosophy and like what can you say what your life philosophy is, and it's kind of hard to pin down, but it's like it, it would be it would be really like tedious to be like, well, I believe that like people are like true like individuals and they should be treated with respect and, you know, like, and then you should carry the heaviest load and take responsibility, like list out all the things like a 12 rules for life. But like, if you did everything, like it would just take a long time Mm -hmm. and it's hard to, it's hard to like articulate that without some sort of cohesive uh, frame. And ultimately you can say something like I preach Christ crucified. You know what I'm saying? Where it's like, like mm, the, I, yeah. like who Christ is and what Christianity stands for is my life philosophy. Yeah. And you can unpack that on an intellectual way, mm. or you can unpack it in a poetic knowledge way. And like, it, it applies in so many different areas of your life where you, you can see things through a Christian lens and it reveals to you like what your philosophy of life is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. It's, it's, I, so to your point, like it, the people who say that I can just come up with my own values, it's like, there's so much underneath that that it would take you like a million years to come up with every single scenario yeah, right. in which you would right. act and, yeah, exactly. and what have you. Right. Jung would say this is the great benefit of something like Catholicism, even over, he would say, Protestantism, because because uh, Catholicism has retained this symbolic nature, this symbolic tradition that somebody who's looking for this, they're looking to structure their life, they're looking to find meaning, they're looking for a life philosophy— um, in a sense, Catholicism furnishes, he says, it furnishes their mind with mm. all these symbols mm. and all these archetypes. Yeah. You know, it's like, I'm, I'm looking for something to anchor my life. And Catholicism says, here it is. 
you know, here, here's the symbolic life for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, that you are to imitate yep. the dying and rising man, you know, the God man. Yeah. You are to see yourself as not just a, a, a father, a biological father, but a reflection of your heavenly father. Yeah. Uh, all, all this furnishes your life with meaning. Right. And, and, um, right. And not just eat, not just, um, act out, um, a moral set of values, but actually be part of something bigger than yourself and actually communing by like eat, eating and drinking the body and blood of Christ with a, a, a community. Right. Like it just, again, it just touches every single part of you know, yeah. your person. Um, yeah. That, um, so. that's, um, that's a good point that uh, dovetails into this, a couple of clips here from uh, that Shia LaBeouf conversation with Bishop Barron, um, where he talks about freedom and structure. Um, he makes a comment about how, you know, freedom unbridled is like, doesn't do anything and you kind of need a structure. Mm-hmm. Freedom doesn't feel good with no structure. You know, if somebody stripped me naked and threw me in the ocean, it wouldn't feel good. I'd be free, but I wouldn't enjoy it. Um, this has given me structure to be able to enjoy my freedom, to be able to, it's yeah. given me, yeah, it's given me purpose, the structure of it. Freedom. I need the structure of it. Bob Dylan, freedom just around the corner from you, but with truth so far off, what good would it do? Well, yeah, so the, the, the this he's talking about is Catholicism. Um, and that's mm-hmm. kind of like to this whole point we've been talking about that like the structure of something allows you to navigate the world freely. Yeah. You know, it's it's kind of like that whole image of um, what is it? The children playing at the edge of a cliff. Like if there's a structure there, if there's walls there, then the children have that feeling of freedom that they can play happily. Yeah. As opposed to no structure, then you're like, what what are the boundaries? I have to come up with my own boundaries and to be careful. And, and I, and it's yeah. rigid. Yeah. Yeah. That's um. I rem- I was reminded of um. A Thomas Merton quote uh, along these same lines. He said, um, within the fall, four walls of my cell, I found my freedom. Mm-hmm. Um, and it sounds so counterintuitive. Like, wait, you know, your, your cell, you yeah. found your freedom? Um, but freedom, it has to imply um, structure. Because freedom properly understood is uh, a freedom for something. And there's a telos to mm-hmm. freedom. Uh, and, and it's the pursuit of the good. So I think... You know, in order to, to clarify the conversation more, I, I think what uh, when we say um, freedom with no structure, we're talking about autonomy, right? Where it's just, you know, I am uh, I have the license to do whatever I want, and I am the arbiter of what good I am pursuing. That doesn't bring meaning and happiness, and that's autonomy. Mm-hmm. I think freedom implies the telos. It implies a goal that you're the, the good that you're um, able to pursue. Right. Uh, and, and that has to have structure. The, the, the classic example that I, I love to use when talking about freedom, uh, you know, I think, I think the church gets a bad rap for saying like, you're trying to limit man's freedom mm-hmm. with your morality. Right. Um, look at the 10 commandments. It's like, thou shall not, thou shall not, thou shall not. And it's, on the face of it, it seems like, you know, this is not a, a free way to live, but this is actually a restrained way to live. Um, but, the best example, I think, is one of uh, like playing sports. You look at an athlete, a professional athlete, playing, and your instinct should be, well, look how freely he plays the game. Like it looks like he's making it look easy, right? But then once he, well, you have to realize that that athlete has only sub- is only able to freely play because he has submitted himself to the rules. And if he starts breaking the rules, then he's no longer freely playing the game. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, just like in sports, where there's rules that you have to follow. You have to know them, right? Abide by them. Uh, that's the first step in order to then play the game, right? And the same thing is true in life. Um, yeah, so. you, you. There's so many like fractal elements of that. It's like 
I would never say that the rules I set for my kids are to restrict them from living freely. Yeah. It's to enable them to live freely. It's like, cause these passions are going to overwhelm you. You need to know how to order yourself properly. Right. And so that, that I impose rules in my house cause it's a microcosm. I try to emulate the microcosm of reality or the, the cosmos itself um, in my microcosm of my house so that they know how to interact in that space. And then when they go out, they, they're familiar with that structure. Yeah. 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 I, I think religion and dogma is supposed to give you that structure, you know, religio to bind. It's not to bind your freedom, but right. to bind you to a specific structure in which you can be free. Yeah. Yep. Um, and dogma as the catechism defines it, I love this, is lights along the path of faith. Mm. So it's not the path. Faith and dogma aren't the same. And I think people, when they confuse them, that's when you get kind of this uh, rigidity, kind mm -hmm. of legalism, yep. maybe pharisaical. But you have to understand that it, it you know, someone like St. John of the Cross would say that, the, you know, the path of faith is dark. So you need these lights to help you know where you're going and they kind of keep you on the right on the right path. Yeah, 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 <laughs> um, exactly. But they're not meant to say that you, you can go off the path, but the path is probably the best way. Yeah. You know, staying on the path is the fastest way to go right. where you or the safest route to where you mm -hmm. want to go. Yeah, exactly. And again, you're free to to deviate, but... Is as that going to bring you happiness? Exactly. Yeah. Is that going to bring you... Is that actually yeah. going to bring you... Is it actually mm -hmm. going to bring flourishing, like you said, with your kids to let them go off the path. Um, right. right. It's like you can put your hand on the stove if you want to. Yeah. Right. But what is that going to do? You know? Yeah. Right. So. I think the, Victor Frankl would say that freedom and responsibility have to go hand in hand. And mm -hmm. the terrible thing about Christianity is that you are responsible for everything. And <laughs> <Yeah>. everyone. <laughs> you know, it's a yeah, yeah. greater or less, you know, lesser degrees. Mm-hmm. You know, in proximity, you know, yourself, your family, your wife, your children. But ultimately, you are responsible to God. Yeah. And that's that's a pretty terrible weight. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But what's the alternative? You know, I mean, right. right. If, you know, again, if you if you just live this life of autonomy where you're like, I don't want to be responsible to God. I'm just going to be responsible to myself. Right. Uh and even that, you know, I think is not true responsibility to yourself yeah. because you're not actually going to allow yourself to flourish. You yeah. just cave in on yourself. You well, know, you see, you're you see enslaved. Something, you see that in like crime and punishment. You have Raskolnikov who like tries yeah. to, you know, mm -hmm. live by his own morals and not be responsible to God. Um, and then, you know, to his detriment. Yeah. But um, yeah, so like ultimately, let's just presume that we've all recognized that we have to be responsible to God. It's like, all right, that's unavoidable. Which is the best way? And that's when you have like the imitation of Christ. My burden yeah. is light. You know, like I am the way, the truth, and the life. That's yeah. what it means when it's like imitation of my life is what the best path forward is. Yeah, right. right. The way, the truth, and the life. Those yeah. are not three separate things. Those are one thing. Yeah, <laughs> right. Right. Uh, so, yeah. That's good. Um, there's two more clips um, from this interview um, where he's talking about the Latin mass and kind of beauty and symbolism. I wanted to play... Uh, both of them for you guys. Latin mass affects me deeply, deeply. And, How and come? Because it feels like they're not selling me a car. Hmm. And when I go to some mass with the guitars and stuff, yeah. and I'm from, you know, <laughs> Santa Inez, right? So that's where I was catechized. And there's a lot of guitar playing. And there's a lot of like what feels like um, 
like they're trying to sell me on an idea. So he's talking to, he's talking about the uh, the Latin Mass versus the Novus Ordo. Mm -hmm. um, and so, like, you know, coming from his perspective as somebody who's a feeler, who has this intuition, he's seeing the richness and the symbolism in something like the Latin Mass and then seeing that missing from some of these guitar masses that he's yeah. being a part of. Um, and I feel like that goes back to what you were saying about your, like, the symbolism isn't connecting. Yeah. Um, yeah, so he talks a little bit about that uh, more with Bishop Barron. And then um, Bishop Barron mentioned, mentions Campbell. Um, I'll play that clip for you guys. However, I would also say that there's certain language where I don't need to know the words. Yeah. Which is what I, what I feel when I watch Pio's Mass. Yeah. I know what's going on. Uh -huh. I feel it deeply. I, it almost feels more powerful than when I know every single word. It takes me out of the realm of the intellectual, and it puts me squarely in the realm of the feeling the, and the beauty thing that you talk about. Do you know uh, Joseph Campbell? Do you know that name? The yes. comparative mythologist. And he was raised as a Catholic way back when, so in the old church, right? He said he thought the greatest problem was when we moved the mass from the older form, and he said to make it more like a, like a cooking demonstration. And what he meant was... So true. It is. <laughs> so I actually have that exact quote from Campbell. I sent yeah. it to Father Jonathan like four years ago. Yes, <laughs> I, I, and I remember. I think I have it saved. Like, that yeah. quote is it's, it's powerful. It's a, it's a good quote. Disclaimer, this is not a promo for the Latin mass. Or for, no, <laughs> for that's one, fair. This, that's is, fair. Yeah. this is not getting into the, the politics of... Latin uh, Mass versus yeah, Novus yeah. Ordo, yeah. This is, um, I, I do think we can talk about this, though, and get a lot out of it, but uh, this is a quote. This is the quote that Bishop Barron is talking about from Joseph Campbell. The Catholic Church has translated its Latin liturgy into local, local languages, thereby diluting or removing its essential mystery. When Catholics go to Mass in Latin, the priest is addressing the infinite in a language that has no domestic associations. The people attending are thereby elevated into transcendence. But when the liturgy is recited in a person's own local language and the altar is turned around, the priest resembles less an intermediary of mystery than he does a television cook. Mm. Yep. Yeah, I, I mean, I think that like that's exactly right. And it just goes back to symbols. Uh, you don't need words to realize what's going on when the priest vested looking different than the laity is facing in the same direction as the people holding up the host to realize something magnificent is going on yeah right you don't need language for yeah, that it's quiet and you hear bells yeah like and, and there's incense and like all those symbols are working together to actually say, like showing you like this is what we're worshiping everyone's on their knees and i, I feel like when you try to explain it, it loses its mystery. It's almost, I think, the reason why Christ teaches in parables, right? He's getting uh, to a point, but he's allowing you to sit with this truth in a way that makes you at first feel uncomfortable trying to get you out of your, um, your preconceived notions of what he's getting at so that you can come to it more fully instead of just saying, here's the answer, and you just, you know, kind of package it up and put it in your back pocket and say, like, okay, I understand what's going on, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, there's a, and, and this is, I think the liturgy, when it's authentic and beautiful, resembles good art, where art is not preaching at you. It's just showing you almost a, a sense of mystery. And then you can kind of sit with it and, you know, meditate. And this goes back to the conversation with AI art, right? Putting yourself, uh, using your imagination to put yourself into that that place of, awe 
and mystery. Uh, and then it, it, it starts speaking to you in a way that words can never, that net can never, I guess, um, operate, you know, uh, yeah. like words can't operate on that level. Yeah. It's kind of like when, when Christ says, um, you have hidden these things from the wise and the learned and revealed them to the little children. Yeah. Um, and the little children are the ones who are captivated by wonder. Yeah, right? they're the ones that yeah. see life symbolically. You yeah. know, they right. yeah. Gr- they have greater imaginations. Mm-hmm. Yeah. To, yeah. To engage life symbolically. And so I think uh Shia LaBeouf's um intuition of the beauty of that um yeah, he's getting at something. And this, again, this is not to politicize um, you know, anything and, and saying Latin mass is better than a Novus Ordo. Yeah. Um we're just saying that there there needs to be a sense of um the, the symbols at the mass have to be strong and have to be working together mm-hmm. and it doesn't have to be overly explained. You don't have to try that hard, <laughs> you know? Right. Um, right. I remember I was told um, when I was learning the mass in seminary, uh, how to say mass. I remember our liturgy teacher was like, you don't have to try that hard. It's given, it's, it's here, you know, just, um, you know, say, say the, say the black, do the red mm-hmm. <laughs> and you're going to do, you're going to say a beautiful mass. Mm-hmm. And I think it's like, it's when people want, you know, unfortunately some priests want the the meaning to be so, in an effort to be communicated clearly, they force themselves onto yeah. uh, onto these symbols and it becomes more about them. Mm-hmm. And it, like, like Shia LaBeouf said, they're trying to sell you something. Mm-hmm. It's like, don't push this on me so hard. Let the symbols speak for themselves, you right. know? Um, so, yeah. yeah. And, and that, I, that comes from a... a you know, maybe a good place of like, I'm trying to reveal truth to you. Of course. Without, yeah. without understanding that the splendor of truth is beauty. Yeah. And that involves that whole symbolism and connected right. things. Um, Just like Christian movies, like their yeah. intentions are good. Mm-hmm. And Christian movies, I know I'm grouping that all together. <laughs> but, you know, bad Christian movies that are very um, uh, didactic. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, the intentions are good. They're trying to teach you a good message. Right. Um, but in an effort to... Uh, communicate this truth, they lose sight of the splendor right. of yeah. truth. You know? It's almost like they've lost, well, I mean, it's not like they've lost, they actually lost, they lost the ability to recognize that Christianity encompasses everything and that like there's beauty in telling a good story about a boy becoming a man. You don't have to preach the gospel explicitly in this film, you know, yeah. like that, but that encompasses everything. Um, and so it is this kind of beauty connectedness that they've lost. And they, they, the only thing they're left with is like, well, we have to like sell truth somehow yeah. without beauty. I don't right, know how to right. do that. Yeah. 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 I think Baron talked about this. There was sort of this, I think they were trying to establish an equilibrium. You know, I, my father grew up serving the Latin mass and he said, you, you really got the sense of God's transcendentness you're watching this very powerful transcendent act of worship but there was perhaps a time when it was too transcendent and people were too disconnected mm-hmm. from the liturgy so the novus ordo attempted to correct that and now god is too or now the liturgy is, is too common so I, I think we're kind of in this balancing act right now we're trying to reach this level where it's 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 yep. both yeah that god is is imminently present to us but also transcendent. Right. And yeah. that's also, that's, that, I mean, that's hard to capture no yeah. matter what, but I think that's what we're trying to do. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, yeah. We, yeah. um, we touched on this briefly in the, in the book we're reading, um, the flight from women. Um, we were talking about the parallels between like, uh, the enlightenment and the Protestant reformation and how 
they seemed like attempts to incorporate something, but then kind of went awry. Right. Um, and so like the, the enlightenment was like, well, let's bring all this intellectual thought and rationality into now like law and, and politics and such. And it, and it kind of broke and splintered and we, and we left, uh, religion. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 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 Um, and yeah. the same thing with the Protestant reformation where it was like, there's, there's legitimate needs of reformation in the church. Um, the idea that, you know, you can see these scriptures yourself and have that like intuitive, beautiful apprehension of the gospels in your, in your phenomenologically subjective mind. Um, and then that kind of scattered into like everybody interprets scripture yeah. on their own and you 30,000 denominations or whatever. So like all these attempts to kind of like find balance, like you were saying, and it kind of breaks off. I feel like there's something similar that happened with Latin mass to Novus Ordo where we're yeah. in a state of trying to bring this closer to the people, but then you lost something and now we're trying to get back to that. And that you can actually see all three of those examples now having a bit of an about turn culturally. And mm -hmm. we're returning back to people, you know, like Latin mass is like popping up all over the place. People are coming back to religion we're realizing that some of the stuff that was lost needs to kind of return. And now we're kind of finding yeah. this happy medium. And in Shia LaBeouf's um, own conversion, I don't think that's a single isolated incident. But I think that, like, the things that he's telling Bishop Barron uh, and his, uh, you know, when he explains his conversion, I think that's indicative of a cultural movement. Um, and so, like you said, we're seeing people um, re-engaging with religious attitudes. Um, because, again, this, you know, a world on a purely natural rationalistic level just doesn't bring meaning. Um, I mean, you know, the bottom line is that the Latin mass does have more symbolic gestures mm -hmm. and yeah. a more symbolic nature. Yeah. That's just, you know, that's where it is. Well, well, you know, not saying you have to go to Latin mass, not saying you have to love it, but it's yeah. just, it, you know, it is what it is. Yeah. Um, and it can be beautiful. Novus Ordos. Oh, oh yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, the, the, tr the, the Latin mass is supposed to inform the Novus Ordo, right. but something's mm -hmm. kind of lost. I mean, there's, the whole history to it, mm -hmm. yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah, of what happened. Yeah. But I think, as in an effort to respond to the switch um, that man made during um, the transition into modernity, uh, like you know, again connecting it to the um, Enlightenment, people lost the ability to see the world symbolically, mm -hmm. and they were they were wanting to see the world now, um, just on a rational level. And so the church in responding to that was trying to like, well, meet the people where they're at yeah. in a sense. Right. And so, well, if the, the people don't think like this anymore, then like, let's meet them where they're at and ad like adapt the liturgy to mm -hmm. serve the world's needs. Um, where I think it went a little bit awry, I, I think, and this is what Pope Francis was getting at in his uh, recent letter is that, well, maybe instead of adapting the liturgy, we, teach the people, right? Mm -hmm. And, and reinform the people, like how to think symbolically. Uh, and he, he mentions this, that the people have lost the ability to think symbolically and we need to return to this symbolic nature of the liturgy. Right. Uh, so it's not so much about changing the way the church does things to meet the people where they're at, but actually calling the people forth and saying, we've lost something in this transition to modernity. Right. Let's try to re regain it. And then you know? the, you know, you don't want to fall into like, well, now we need committees to instruct symbolism. Like, no, you right. know, like the, it is yeah. going to be this showing of beauty. And so it is going to yeah. look like something in the liturgy. Like we're going to pull things together yeah. 
And so you can see this beauty and then you wonder at it and like, what is this? That's the thing about the letter though, is that um, he doesn't actually su- make practical suggestions on how to re-engage the world mm-hmm. uh, with symbols. So he kind of leaves it up to the, the priest and the catechist, the clergy. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, that's, yeah. that's, a, that's a massive effort and undertaking. Um, but he does mention that the, the priest, when celebrating the liturgy, um, he actually engages in a work of art. Which is really interesting. Um, going back to that idea of like what art does and beauty and wonder, mm-hmm. mystery. Yeah. Uh, there is a. Um, it's not just the, when the preach, priest shows up to do mass. He is not simply going to work. He's not mm-hmm. clocking in, does the mass, and mm-hmm. then clocks out. Mm-hmm. It's actually you're engaging in mystery. Yeah. And, and there's actually a lot of similarity between what the priest is doing in a liturgy, and what an artist does when he creates. Yeah, um, for sure. I mean, it's it's the same type of mediator principle. It's like of nature. I, yeah, so like nature, I yeah. stand as an artist, as a mediator between this kind of transcendent reality that I'm like intuiting and then trying to now like embody that and put it into something yeah. that can be digestible. And that's what a priest does, like yeah. literally. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, <laughs> With communion. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah, and so if I were to say, well, how what what do people like and... How do I explain what I'm trying to do in my music? And it became this kind of just like explanation of like too rational. Yeah. You know, like music is this thing that is felt and you kind of pull people to your experience um, of the world or, or whatever. But if I were to try to go all the way down, it wouldn't even be music, mm-hmm. you know, because yeah, yeah, ultimately exactly. I'm not going to sit down with you and be like, well, low frequencies like have this kind of, like corporal feel and, and what, yeah. like how about a cool beat that you feel and like, <laughs> yeah. in, like you're moving with and like right. that there's this intuitive aspect of like, this is beautiful. What is this? Yeah. As opposed to a rational explanation. Yeah. Yeah. Pope Francis says, I have some of the stuff from the letter pulled up. Um, that every, every symbol is at the same time, both powerful and fragile. If it is not respected, if it is not treated for what it is, it shatters and loses its force and becomes insignificant. Hmm. So this whole, you said this whole like education of symbolism is very difficult. Because yeah. again, if you have a manual, <laughs> yeah, you know, it is one way to teach people, but it it that will probably shatter the symbol. Yeah. Right. The symbols have to be experienced, not thought out. They have to be embodied and lived. Yeah. And not simply uh, yeah. thought through. Pope Francis does say that one way to educate people in symbolism is the art of celebration of celebrating, uh, I mm. think you mentioned Father yeah. Jonathan, but I think that actually speaks um, just to the nature of the Novus Ordo because it's very personality driven. You know? yeah. yeah. But whereas uh, I, I think celebrating properly is important in both masses, but one, again, just because it was more symbolic, wasn't so reliant on the priest. Yes, yeah. Yeah, there's certain elements that just yeah. inherently, it, it, it spoke to you regardless if you knew what was going on precisely or not. Yeah. Well, you know, whether or not you had taken a liturgy course or knew the symbolism, there was something that you knew that there was a transcendent mystical event happening. Right. That doesn't quite happen now. Yeah. But it's been lost. Yeah, for sure. Um, that's a good place to stop. I had, um, I had another point that I wanted to bring up, but we'll bring it up next week. Cause it goes into a lot more, um, of a conversation, but, um, so for now, we'll end here. Uh, basically, related.com forward slash support. Um, if you guys 
sign up for $5 a month. You can ask questions um, in the AMA, which is basically basicallyrelated.com forward slash AMA. Um, only members will get the uh, once a month episode. Um, I'm Matt Hylam on all social media. Um, Lee is at Coach Lieb. And Father John doesn't have social media yet. And anything else you guys want to say? I apologize um, for my voice. I sound like I smoked a pack of cigarettes before this, but I've, I've been ill. <laughs> Good? Good. Good. All right, guys. We'll see you.